So both of these episodes feel like they were tailor-made for you. Aren't they? Yeah, we, we had a really great, like, uh, a, a, a Ferengi episode that was really funny. And then we had, a, like, a Noari episode that was really awesome. I had a good week. And also, uh, both of them, frankly, I think, give you a lot of information that you've been wondering about. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Specific. You know, rule of, yeah, well, well, you know, we get Odo's backstory, Necessary Evil. And in, in, in Rules of Acquisition, we learn a little bit more about Ferengi society and the role of women. Yeah, that was a very interesting episode, and um, yeah, I'm trying to think, you know, I'm going back to what we said last week about, you know, or we, we've been saying in general that this ep- this series is about, you know, fracturing these, you know, these planets of hats, you know, that they, as they call, you know, that they, they, and, you know, this is where we're starting to see a little bit of a shift in Ferengi society, because you have, um, I, you have this Frankie woman. I don't remember the name. Um, help me out Pell. here. Pell. You have Pell, and um, she's obviously, you know, not the usual Frankie woman. You know, we are. We were to- so basically with the, the status of Frankie society, women in Frankie society is they're essentially kept like a harem, is what we're more or less told you know they're they, i think they're essentially kept like women in saudi arabia only they can't wear clothes yeah they they, they exist exactly and can't go outside apparently <laughs> yeah they seem to exist solely for sexual pleasure pleasure and birthing and um obviously this is not a situation that is conducive to uh very you know having educated women because you're not educated they're we're explicitly told they don't know how to read but you know Pell is somebody who had this drive and who, uh, you know, did manage to, fr- frankly, you know, demonstrate that there is no intellectual difference between a Ferengi woman and who has the same advantages as a, as a Ferengi man. That is our, you know, that's the typical message that we are going to get at this point, and it's one that I think you and I agree with in general. Um, and that that women are people. Yes, <laughs> I, would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, we're not. Um, but but it's interesting to show that there are very different reactions within the Ferengi that we see about this. I mean, they range from, you know, embarrassment to absolute horror to, you know, Quark is very has very complex reactions to this because he has been told that, you know, a woman can't do this, a woman and yet he has very demonstrable evidence that no, she she is frankly one of the best negotiators that he's ever seen um yeah and well there's a couple of i i think we you know maybe this is the last conversation we'll have about the ferengi as a concept because yeah. you know it'll get to be diminishing returns i mean you know this is not going to be the last ferengi episode obviously you know uh, uh quark is a main character and they're going to have more of these over the course of the uh, of the show so i don't think that that's a big surprise to to kind of lay on you but you know, this is the episode that I think really lays bare the fundamental disconnect with the Ferengi. And, you know, this this may be the show starting to redeem the Ferengi in a way. Yeah. You know, we in TNG, they were a joke. And and I think that they were a joke for, for two reasons. Number one, their makeup makes them look like a cartoon character, hmm. uh, which is something that I just realized. You know, they, they don't. It doesn't look naturalistic. I mean, a lot of the makeup is 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 done very well, and I, I'm not saying that the Frankie makeup is not done well, but they've got these oversized ears and these sort of like outsized physical characteristics, and it just kind of makes them feel like 
In a way, it almost looks like they came out of the animated series and, you know, went with that. Uh, You know what I mean? Like, I I know they didn't, but, you know, I'm remembering the first Ferengi appearance with the you know, blue electric laser whips. And that would have worked, frankly, in the animated series, given with that. You know, it almost seems like that was a lost concept that TNG ran with. And, yeah, you know, it does, it is relatively silly makeup for the series. And, you know, frankly, Wallace Shawn's voice is a little too cartoonish. It's starting to grate on me. Well, Wallace Shawn in general is is a little too cartoonish. (laughs) No, I know, but I mean... (laughs) <laughs> I lo- I like Wallace Shawn. I think he does a good job in the show. But I, uh, this is not his yeah. best performance. This is not... No. You know, again, given what Armin Shimmerman does with Quark, and of course, he's inhabiting this character week after week, so, you know, he is going... And, you know, they are very interested in giving the Quark character much more depth than the Nagus for many reasons, but still, beyond that, he is, you know, Wallace Shawn is not stepping up to that level in a way. Well, the interesting thing about about his his uh, uh, performance as as the Grand Nagus, I think, is that it's a little too small, actually. You know, yeah. If if you if you look at how Armin Shimmerman plays Quark, I mean, he really plays Quark larger than life. A lot of gesticulation, a lot of bug eyes, uh, a lot of uh, uh, facial expression, and and I don't know that Wallace Shawn is an actor who is really comfortable with the makeup. You know, he he seems to be hmm. creating a character based solely on a voice. And while that's interesting, and he's supposed to be older, so of course he doesn't need to be as physical because the Grand Nagus is an old man. But he's still the still... Grand Nagus. I mean, I'm, right. think, I'm thinking about what you were saying about, you know, right now I'm thinking about the Klingon restaurant owner who has, you know, maybe two minutes of screen time in the thing, and he's... As you said, larger than life. He is, you know, I think one of the reasons you like him is is because he's just this, he's a character. You know, he has so few lines and yet he is, you know, explosive. And, you know, the grand, the grand Nagus of the Ferengi should be like that. All of the leaders of the planets that we've seen have been, or all, of, you know, the really good guest star characters that we've seen, I'm thinking, you know, in Next Generation, I'm thinking of people like, you know, the Dura sisters were larger than life. The um, yeah. uh, 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 Garon was larger than life, you know, and I'm picking all Klingons, I guess, you know, which is kind of interesting. But, yeah, why isn't the Nagus on that? Yeah, and maybe they just felt like they were lucky to get Wallace Shawn. I mean, he's I a good know. actor. I mean, I, I don't mind the character, but I, I do think, yeah, you're right that he, he's maybe a, a, a little bit again. Old, we're we're ra- at this point. We're rabbit holing, which is what we do. But well, no, that's fine. I think it's, but I think it's an important point because you know th- this brings me to the larger question of the Ferengi is that you know they were com- comedic, they they were comedic relief in the next generation after the fact. You know, they sort of. Well, we know the story of the Ferengi. They were supposed to be the main villain, and then they sort of realized that they were ridiculous, and they were ridiculous because of makeup, and they were ridiculous because of the way they were acting and, and, and these things, yeah. right? So you can't take them seriously, which DS9 leans into. You know, Deep Space Nine so far, uh, last season with um, whatever the episode was with, I think it was actually called The Nagus, yes. and, and now with Rules of Acquisition, the second Ferengi episode that we have, uh, the show is doubling down on the fact that Ferengi plots are going to be comedic. This is obviously a comedy episode. But at the same time, the Ferengi are painted as, uh, frankly, uh, you know, some sort of cross between, uh, you know, fundamentalist 
Muslims in Saudi Arabia and 17th century, you know, Americans in the way that they treat their women and the way that they're acting um, in society. You know, there there's, is there's a no de- there is a degree to which the Ferengi are a wacky Zionist conspiracy in space to a degree. Eh, I mean, let's let's not I know that's been I taught. don't I don't I don't, don't buy that argument at all. I don't think that are supposed to be Jews. Uh, no, there's resonances, and this is pretty much this episode is pretty much the plot of Yentl, but that's a different story. Well, it's also the plot of Tootsie. I mean, <laughs> yeah, on, that's not, true. You know, it, just because someone is cross-dressing doesn't mean that that it's supposed to be Yentl. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't even want to entertain that because I just don't think it's 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 relevant. I don't think it's a. I think it's actually kind of a lazy um, comparison. Just be, you know, anyway. But but I think that the, the real issue here, of course, is that the Ferengi are comedic. The Ferengi are, are, are not treated as seriously. So DS9 is doubling down on that. But at the same time, I don't know if they're deciding to make their society just 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 oversized terrible because that's comedic. Like, how could you ever take this seriously? They're so terrible that they can't possibly be serious. I, I don't I don't know. There's some sort of disconnect here. And. Uh, to, I mean, to one degree, we can look at the Ferengi and say it's an exaggerate. They are an exaggerated version of capitalism. They are a satire of, you know, the, the you know, the Wall Street bro culture in a way, given the way this it's misogynistic but then, and based. But but yeah. It, but it, then it, why make them why make their why make them so misogynistic? I mean, you know, this is this is like. And that's my problem with it is that they treat it as comedy, but this is really serious stuff. I mean, they are basically treating their women as as slaves, essentially sex slaves. And and you know they say that the women aren't allowed to leave the house, they're not allowed to wear clothes, and they're not allowed to learn how to read. I mean, this is you know this is bad stuff. But ha, it's Ferengi, so it's funny. I mean, I, just, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it almost seems like they're you know this would also be going just as into cliche, but you know. It would be one thing if they ultimately redeemed the Ferengi women by saying, well, yes, but they're really in control and they, you know, but that would be way too convoluted to, you know, make sense anyway. uh, Yeah, it's this is going along with that season one thing where uh, Quark has a sexual contract with the waitress that, you know, that that was supposed to, again, be a ha ha, it's funny, you know, and again, that that is from what we have learned, what we learn about. Ferengi culture that that is fairly that that seems like it is a fairly common thing within Ferengi culture to have these kinds of contract again viewing women as property in a lot of ways and yet it doesn't fully go into the implications just says well Quark is bad about that he's incorrigible I mean I think this episode you know is showing this horrible situation or implying this horrible situation and you know, yeah, trying to laugh it off and make it seem like it's just, oh, well, they're, 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 they they don't have the greatest attitude towards women, but, you know, they're lovable. I mean, you even have Dax saying, you know, well, once you realize they're terrible, you kind of have fun with them. Yeah, and that's – we'll talk that's, about that. In- I, I think, well, I think that that's interesting, and I think it's interesting for a very specific reason, but I don't want to quite move on from okay. Ferengi women yet because, again, I just – you know, there's – it it's not implied that they're physically abusive. I'm not I'm not saying like they're beating them. I mean obviously no. they're, they're sexually there's a lot of problems with Frankie society. I mean I don't think that the women are really consenting to a lot of this and you know this is again this is all kind of a problem. I don't think that there's a real way to talk about this because it's just so 
it's just so poorly thought out. And, and, and I don't know why they thought that doubling down on making the Ferengi so cartoonishly villainous against women was a good idea. Again, you and, could, and, you can, sorry, sorry. No, it just, it just undercuts the entire message of the episode. It undercuts the Ferengi as a character. It undercuts Quark. I mean, you know, it's one thing to say, you know what, these are really horrible people. Uh, what they're doing, frankly, is, is, is way too dark for Star Trek. And, if they treated it seriously, it would be an interminable slog, and so they can't treat it seriously. But then they they undercut everything by making it a comedy. I just don't. Yeah, if they're if they have to take it seriously, Deep Space Nine has to de- has to have at some point the liberation of Ferengi women. Because if they're taking this seriously, I can't countenance a show that doesn't you know that it feels irresponsible. I guess, yeah, it does feel like an irresponsible plot line because they aren't quite ready to deal with it that the way it is at this point. Yeah, and I don't – maybe that's maybe that's too many cooks in the kitchen. Maybe it's just, you know yeah. – uh, Iris Steve Bear has a thing about the Klingon – about the Ferengi. They all – you know, he loves the Ferengi. <laughs> uh, uh, a lot of the writers on the show really like the Ferengi. They thought that they were hilarious. I, you know, whatever. I don't get it. But there's a reason none of these writers were right on sitcoms. I mean, I'm um, trying to think, like, even is it just this is dated? Cause it, but it's – I mean, while you can say this was, what, 15 years ago? Yes, but, you know – 20 years ago. 20 years ago. I don't feel like you can – this doesn't get as much of a pass as, say, TNG did in some of its more questionable elements because it's – I don't know. It just doesn't feel that far removed in order to bring this up and not really fully deal with it. Yeah, and I think that they 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 try to treat it seriously in the other characters' reactions and attitudes towards the Ferengi. You know, famously in the first season when Nog and Jake were becoming friends, and you know, Commander Sisko says, "Well, you know, Ferengi and humans have very different values, and we've never been able to figure out a, a point of common ground." That's pretty significant for Star Trek to say because Star yeah. Trek is a franchise that believes that there's common ground amongst all species, oh, yeah. e- even if it's a very small one. And that's how relationships build and grow. And eventually that's how species enter the Federation. Yeah. So for, for, for uh, you know, a, a commander in Starfleet to say that is pretty significant. Uh, we don't see, you know, almost uniformly, you know, to a character aside from Dax, um, None of them like the Ferengi. I think that they're they're frankly disgusted by them, and and you know that could be the show trying to 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 show that. Well, it, you know maybe it's maybe the fact of the matter is that that the the comedy is not coming from our reactions to the Ferengi. It's it's the Ferengi themselves are sort of comedic. But I think that 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 would presume a level of detachment and you know a uh, uh, postmodernism that the show frankly doesn't have. To, to say that they're treating the Ferengi as ridiculous because the way that the Ferengi act is ridiculous. I, that could be an interpretation of it. I just don't know that the show is that smart. I almost feel like, yeah, I, I'm thinking about to your Too Many Cooks comment. It almost seems like Dax isn't quite reading the script or uh, she doesn't, you know, seem to... I, I, if we're just ta- let's just for a second take the the rules of acquisition and uh, Ferengi, uh, you know their 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 love of money and their greed and all of that. Let's just take that. We're gonna put all the attitudes towards women for aside for a moment. Yeah, they're still an odious species. They're greedy, you know, trying to make a buck. They're gonna cheat you, you know. They wanna you know figure out, but 
you know, in that light, Dax's comment, you know, the, yeah, they're, you know, once you get used, you know, once you accept that, you know, they're kind of fun. And to her credit, that is true. She's enjoying a very heated gambling game with them. You know, they quirk you at quirks. People are having a good time. He does run a really cool bar. He, um, you know, I'm even thinking about the episode where, um, uh, um, that, that he, his, his old friend, the nose guy, um, you know, who wanted to kill him and he, yeah, from, he, from a couple weeks ago, Mal- yeah. Malora, um, you know, and, you know, Quark is very offended at, uh, you know, him backing out and trying to take the money and, you know, and, you know, he says a deal is a deal. Like he has, again, Ferengi ethics is very heavily weighted towards the Ferengi, but it, sure. it does still have a method of ethics. And, you know, if you're willing to negotiate and if you're willing, you know, you're going to be fine. To a degree, I think Dax views Quark's lecherousness almost as funny because she does. She knows he's. She feels no threat from him in yeah. a way, and so you know, yes, he's filthy, but you know, he can be. You know, he does like her, and that he is very, you know, bad at showing, you know, genuine, you know, affection for people. So he hangs out with her, and you know, he talks about how you know beautiful she is, you know, and then, and, then, well, and she knows what he means by that. Yeah, and I think that maybe that's you know that's more astute than you realize because not, you know not to say that you don't know what you're saying, but yeah. but that you know that makes me realize that you know Dax doesn't feel any threat from from Quark the Ferengi because Dax is a you know uh, a strong capable woman who grew up in a society where women yeah. are equal and you know Kira but all, Kira as well you know Kira she as does, well she doesn't find. Uh, Quark is charming as Dax does, but she also has never been afraid of him, you know, and we, right. we you know, we know she could kick his ass and he knows it. <laughs> but I think the, 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 the flip side of that is that the Ferengi themselves have some self-awareness enough to realize that while they treat their Ferengi women that way, and while the women obviously don't seem to really like it, I mean, we haven't talked about Pell very much yet and we will, but they see they they're they're self aware enough to realize that while they can treat their own women that way they 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 have to act a certain way with other women and so maybe that's really part of it where yeah they're disgusting and odious and they try and cheat you and you can't turn your back on them and they treat their women like shit and all this kind of stuff but at the same time if you accept that and 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 kind of operate on their own terms uh, you can have a lot of fun with them, and they are—they're not going to treat you like that because you are not Ferengi. You know that—that's a—that's damning with faint praise, perhaps, but at least it's something. Yeah. Um. Again, that you know that seems like it's coming from a version of the Ferengi that isn't quite as bad as it may seem to be. You know. Um. Again, if she's. You know, yes, Frankie men are very horny and, you know, you can just slap them down and that's fine. You know, that's fine. But there's a difference between that and Ferengi men keep their women at home naked and not able to read. You know, there's a degree between sex comedy and sex slavery. Well, it's almost as though, though, the show isn't realizing quite how far that goes and how how bad that actually would be. I mean, I think that that intellectually they know that that would be really, really, really terrible. But I don't know that emotionally or or sort of societally they they kind of have internalized exactly what that would mean. I mean, that frankly means that that women are subjugated on Ferenginar to such an absurd degree that it becomes, you know, frankly, a, a, a crime against 
humanity for one of a better term. You know, where I'm thinking about this is again, I mean like isn't isn't there isn't there a, a, a Ferenginar like uh, uh, underground railroad to get women out of there? I mean well, that's you know, how bad it, this is. I mean but you know see I'm not sure because um see again I I think this is intended to be this to a degree seems a very exaggerated and over the top version of you know how men treated housewives back you know back in the day. And yeah. so you know so yes, while there were definitely there were problems with this, obviously I'm very you know g- glad that you know housewifery is not you know the default. There were plenty of women who felt their ambitions stifled from this. There were also plenty of women who, and this is one of the things that third wave you know feminism comes in and uh, deals with, who enjoy keeping a house and having children, you know, and having a family and that kind of a thing. And, and frankly, there are men that enjoy that. I mean, yeah, let's uh, not, it, you know, exactly. I would, I would, I would like to be a house husband. I don't like working. Anyway. <laughs> but I mean, you know, there, there are definitely, you can definitely talk, you know, point to women in our society who were just housewives, but were treated very well by their husbands who had, you know, were surrounded in, you know, with a nice house and all of those things. We, ha- I don't know if it's made completely clear to what degree, you know, again, is is a Ferengi woman in a basement chained to the wall with, like, given, you know, a bit of water to eat every couple days? Or is she sitting in, you know, an opulent sofa eating bonbons all day and waiting, you know, to be ravished by it? Like, is that what is that what's happening? There is a I don't think they've made it quite clear. There are problems with both scenarios obviously well but. and i think that, that that maybe the final point about this and then we can move on to talking about pell is that uh you know maybe it's more like a fundamentalist christian attitude towards women where you know men and women are taught that you know girls are the property of their husbands or, or property of their of their fathers Okay. Frankly, what's the difference? Uh, and then, you know, when, once they grow up and get married, they're the property of their husbands. And, and yeah, they don't necessarily abuse the women. They don't necessarily tell them that they're not people. They don't necessarily, you know what I mean? But like at the same well, you time, can treat, that you, is a very, that is a very damaging attitude. And that's sort of maybe the closest analogy that we have. I mean, there's a difference know. between how you treat your 10 year old daughter and how you treat your 30 year old wife. And if they're the same way, that's a problem. Right. I guess that's right. um no um yeah and and again we no no matter what degree of you know that Ferengi women live and you know I I think it would be fair to say that there are both types within Ferengi society unfortunately um but Well and I think and I think that that's a good segue into talking about the character yeah. of Pell because in a way Pell is the least interesting part of the episode I think that again it's a misstep to treat this as a as a sex comedy or as romance gone awry um because it undercuts the very real you yeah. know frankly radical political statement that Pell is trying to make um but it's it's you know, Pell is a Pell is a plot device, and not a character, and I think that's another reason yeah. why the episode is not that great, frankly. Well, she needs. I mean, she hits you know, at, at the point you mentioned before. This is any you know, you know, this, this is Tudzi, this is Yentl, but this is this is any this is Mulan, this is any 
point where, you know, a woman has to prove herself as, you know, as competent. And so, yes, there is no way that she's going to actually falter at any step in the negotiations. You know, there may be a right there, you know, as we see, there are setbacks, but, you know, she accurately realizes there's more to, you know, she is very astute in all of these ways. You know, every single decision that she makes ultimately turns out to be right, except for her, frankly, decision to come out at the end. Um, but, uh, um, you well, know, yeah, yeah, that, 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 as you said, that's a plot device. That's not a character. That's nothing. I mean, she's unique among Ferengi women, but at the same time, you know, unique among Ferengi women is kind of the default, you know, from your and my point of view, you know, again, you, you tell, uh, as you said, the statement that, you know, well, yeah, of course a woman would be able to succeed in business, you know, duh. Um, right. Right. You know, she may be unusual among Ferengi women, but she's not unusual to us. And, you know, yeah, she does come off as a very flat character. Well, and I think and that's and that's the problem is that, you know, she she almost has to be preternaturally, you know, talented at business for for her to be uh, to get to this to, to, yeah. to get to this position to make the point that the episode wants to make. Yeah. If she makes but, any any points, well, it's going to say, well, see, there you go. Women can't do as well as Ferengi, you know, and that, you know, the Mets, it undermines its own message in that way right but but then it's couched in this lame sex comedy and it's couched in this you know uh a uh, uh, thing with pell falling in love with quark and it's like why is any of this necessary you know it, it it again it's trying to shoehorn a comedy into an episode that perhaps doesn't need to be a comedy you know there's there's a degree to which the, the character of pell uh, it comes across as uh, kind of stupid, frankly. I mean, you know, it, it it doesn't it doesn't really make much sense that Pell would fall in love with Quark, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense that Pell would, I don't know, react the way that she does. And and I, the whole it, it's again just, at the uh, you know it's I, characters it's characters acting in service of plot and not yeah. just acting the way that they would. I guess I can accept that she falls in love with Quark because you know love is mysterious and all of that. But yeah, at the end, again, when she reveals herself to the Nagus, um, in a way which doesn't really serve the situation, um, and makes everything worse. And it's showing her giving up everything for Quark. And we know this is not going to be a relationship that this show is going to pursue. And so it feels like a very, Kind of. Well, see, I actually, I actually read that differently. I read okay. that as her really realizing that she needed to step up and make a radical political statement. I mean, you know, in a, in a sense, you know, she is revealing herself to be uh, a, a woman to the leader of, you know, the Ferengi Alliance who is uh, subjugating all women. You know, that's that's pretty powerful. And I just mm. think that again, it's it's something that just doesn't jive with the rest of the episode, and it doesn't feel earned. And and it all just feels very confused. It's just a very confused episode. Yeah, I guess that's, yeah, I guess that's true. It doesn't really seem like that politicalness really came out of anywhere. You know, she didn't really, I mean, I'm thinking about the scene when she's talking about, uh, you know, where Ferengi women are at. And she basically says, you know, oh, you're never going to meet. And, you know, she says to Dax, you'll never meet another Ferengi woman, you know, and, and, you know, going along the lines of, you know, none of them really have the drive that I do. And you that's know? and that's what really gets me about her falling in love with Quark, because if 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 Ferengi women are so subjugated to the point of not even being able to leave the house, the fact that she, you know, learned to read, 
learn, you know, learn to, to, to wear, you know, learn to wear yeah. clothes or get clothes. How, how did she get off the planet? You know, how did she put herself into the situation? She must be such a capable and, and strong and smart woman. Yeah. That and for her to, 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 to throw it all away by, by, by acting again, like a stereotypical well, female, which Quark even says, well, is here's ridiculous. The, here's the, here's the other thing is it feeds, that, it feeds into the stereotype that women are guided by their emotions and men are guided by their brain. But you know something, I mean, we, you know, Ferengi women are socialized to likely want to be, wives and want to have children just as you said fundamentalist christian women are so you know socialized in that way and here you have someone who as you said is very capable very socially astute very self-aware and falling in love with quark i mean she she has to think about the fact that oh shit even after everything i'm done the programming's still kicking in am i just you know going into the stereotypic role assigned to me you know she's gonna have thoughts and opinions about that and she doesn't seem to well, that's the thing. I think yeah. that, 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 that the, the character as it needs to be is not what the character is that we get. And it almost – again, the episode almost is feeding into the stereotype of Ferengi women and saying that basically she's not as smart as she thinks she is. And frankly, she just fell in – she was lucky and fell into all of this. And, you know, and, some... and yeah, you know what? The Ferengi are right to treat their women like this because the women are just going to at the end of the day flutter around and, and fall in love with men and you know try and – you know it's, just, it's all very gross. I don't know. The, yeah. the more I talk about it, the more I dislike this episode. Maybe – it would have been better if she had been one of those characters who, you know, you have one episode where, you know, new waiter, oh, look, peas, you know, okay, that's the entire scene. Next episode, you know, hey, that Pell is working out really well at the thing, you know, oh, yeah. Rom, I'm going to find out of it. You know, spread that, spread her story over two or three episodes, and then you have, you know, the Nagus come and, you know, finally, you know, instead of getting his brother, he's going to get this, you know, waiter who has been, you know, at his side for the, uh, you know, that maybe would have given her a little more room to breathe and given her, you know, see, you know, keep, keep the mystery, you know, of who she really is. Because I mean, for a while we do, you know, for a while we do wonder, you know, what, why is she so helpful? How does she know? What is she getting out of this? Because, you know, Ferengi are getting something out of this. Yeah. And then once we, once she reveals herself, okay, that makes sense, you know, but yeah, I don't know. Well, and I think that, that, you know, that's all true, and I think that maybe that's a good place to leave it. But there is one other thing that I want to talk about before we move on to, to, to Necessary Evil, which is that nobody really seems to be that surprised or shocked that Pell the Man is in love with Quark, which I think is interesting. <laughs> like, and, and, you know, and that's I, true. There's, no, there's when, not... they're on, when they're on the Gamma Quadrant, you know, planet, and, hey, more Gamma Quadrant assholes, but... um. Yeah, they're. Like, I think they're from the planet of D and D barbarians. Or I I loved it. Um, but the yeah, you know, she she's obviously you know amused at catching Quark, you know, in flagrante, you know. But you know, it it it, it doesn't you know he would she would have that reaction to anyone he was he would be in right. bed with, you know. Um, Dax Dax doesn't seem surprised that Pell's in love with him. Like, yeah. you know, before, before she knows that Pell is a woman, I mean, it's just kind of interesting. I mean, you know, like we've said, start, I mean, we haven't really ever talked about the fact that Star Trek doesn't deal with homosexuality very much, except for when we talked about the outcast, perhaps. Yeah. But it's just interesting that it kind of intimates that it's not really a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be, you know, and, and you also have to wonder if there are close friendships around Ferengi men, then, if that is common. Well, because I would if, think so. If you I have mean, a very homosocial culture, yeah. 
but yeah, I mean they're probably giving themselves umox all the time. Aww. Um we have a mention of something called the Dominion, by the way, and yeah. which is so, and it's a very like it, it, it's it turns out to be the motive behind the, you know the the events of the episode, but it's very just mentioned and that's it. But it's the first we really hear of any kind of organizing body around the uh, Gamma Quadrant, and by the fact that it's called the Dominion doesn't really sound good. I guess I we'll mean, just have to say. <laughs> uh, again, all of the Gamma Quadrant people we've met have been dicks, so why would their government be better? <laughs> well, we may find out more about the Dominion, or we may not. You'll just have to find out. Okay. Let's talk about Necessary Evil. This was a cool episode. Yeah, this is a really this cool This was, like, half of my notes are basically, holy shit, it's five years ago. Oh my god, it's Kira. Whoa, it's there, called, you know, that kind of stuff. There is so much about this episode to love. I think that, oh. you know, it's it's fun because you get to see, like, the backstory of Odo. You get to see his origin story. You get to see the first time he meets Gold Ducat, the first it's time he meets the Kira, first... the first time he meets Quark. The first time uh, we we see we've had hints of what life was like on uh, DS Nine before, you know, during the Cardassian days. But yeah, this is the first time we actually see what it's like, and it's pretty much as I imagined. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. It's and awful. I think, well, it's funny because um, this is something that the show does a few times, you know, uh, later. Um, it goes back to the Tarak Nor days when the Cardassians were in charge. And it's always, you know, fairly effective when the show does this because, yeah. you know, they, they do a really good job of making the station just look very different um, with the different lighting and the different atmosphere and, and all that kind of stuff. But still and, recognizably the station. But still recognizably the station, absolutely. And I think it, it, it works really well in this episode because, I mean, frankly, this episode is set up kind of like as a 40s film noir. I mean, yeah. you know, you've got the flashbacks, you've got, the you know, femme fatale, you've got Odo as the, as the investigator. I mean, you know, you know the case from five of, years ago that he never figured out, you know, coming back and yeah. And then it kind of loops around at the end and you realize this has actually been Akira and Odo, you know, ep- episode the whole time. And you maybe didn't realize it at first. This uh, episode answered a lot of questions that I didn't quite realize that I had. Um, it kind of, a, a lot of stuff from this, I realize I just assumed we never really, you know, this episode shows us how Odo kind of became Odo, yeah. how he got to be. We never, I've never had question, you know, how did Odo get to be security? You know, that, that is yeah. kind of, you know, you, you, we just kind of assume that he and Kira, you know, have been working together for years and had this, you know, long relationship. And then you realize that it's not, you know, they've worked, they met, they met for a few days and then they've known each other a little over a year. Which is, you know, maybe two years at this point that yeah. been working together. That's interesting, too. Yeah, it's, it's you know, and the back the backstory is a little unclear because at this point in the show, it, it seems as though what you said is true. That, you know, Kira was the suspect in a murder investigation, which turns out Odo, you know, basically was snowed by her, which he yeah. didn't realize. He, you uh, know, and then, this, and then this... she disappears. And, you know, you know, a few years later, she's she's now, uh, uh, you know, first officer on the on the uh, on the space station. And so they have to learn how to work with each other. Yeah. And I'm sure that they remembered each other from from this time period. But it doesn't seem like they knew each other or really had anything to do with each other. In, yeah. In years. I mean, you have. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, so basically by the point of the pilot, they've been working together maybe a couple months, you know, and they know, you know, you get he he. He begins to trust Kira very quickly. 
um, in the five years ago scene. I think from the beginning, he, like the audience, suspects the wife. And, um, yeah. uh, you know, he he has this moment of trust, and especially when she reveals herself to be, you know, a, a, a secret agent, essentially, you know, um, and... You know, feeling that he knows her story, he begins to develop trust in her, and she realizes that, you know, he's not going to sell her out, and she begins to get a very desperate and awkward kind of trust in him. And then you begin to realize that their relationship doesn't have as solid of a foundation as we might have thought it did. Yeah, and I mean, talk about a contrast, you know, with with rules of acquisition, where Mm. characters just acted the way they needed to act to, to make the plot happen. You know, this is an episode which completely comes out of the characters' interactions with each other and the way that they believe and behave. You know, Kira, we always knew that Kira was a very effective resistance uh, uh, terrorist. And, you know, here we get to see her basically at her prime playing Odo, who has never really had the wool pulled over his eyes yet like this. And and yeah. in the first time we see it really happen, it's Kira, you know? You know, in a way, we kind of completely buy her story, too, though, because, sure, yeah. you know, that, that was a shock. And, you know, to a degree, you know, I, I don't know why I bought that Kira was a bad liar, you know, when he kind of catches her in that thing. But, you know, she, 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 you She's getting to be probably one of the best actors on the show, I would say. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, again, that scene, you know, we completely believe that all she did was, you know, sabotage that computer thing, you know. And, yeah, I I, I, I liked this episode very much for that. Well, and I think that, that it paints... It paints their entire relationship in a yeah. very different light because, of course, Kira knows this, and Kira knows that she pulled the wool over Odo's eyes yeah. five years ago, but never told him. And at the end of the episode, you know, it's 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 heartbreaking because this is the first time that we really see these two characters kind of not really sure how to interact with each other. I mean, we've always the funny thing is like the the, the relationship so far hasn't really been front and center. I mean, they sort of. You know, they have a couple scenes here and there, but it's not like we've ever really had a Kira and Odo episode before. And, you know, to to the degree that the show is is kind of good at creating creating relationships out of very limited scenes. I mean, they do that with Garrick and, and Bashir. Mm. You know, they do that with, with Cisco and his son. They do that with Nake and uh, Nake. <laughs> Nog and Jake. I mean, they do that with a lot of different Oh, characters. that's their couple name. Oh, that's cute. Um, and, and, you know... At the end of this episode, you know, it's left. I mean, again, this is this is definitely a different show from The Next Generation because The Next Generation would never leave a relationship unprepared like this at the end of an episode. Um, They're kind of at an impasse. They don't know if they're going to be able to trust each other again or how this is going to change their friendship. You know, sorry, I think it's interesting, though, because, you know. Odo has no problem with what, you know, she did. Obviously, the Odo of five years ago was still at the, you know, getting to that point in this episode is about how he managed to choose a side and why he chose a side, you know, and all of that. But, you know, there is no... I don't know that he did choose a side, though. Well, you know, it's about... No, I would say, no, the five years ago, Odo realizes that he needs to choose a side... By the time we know him in the present, he has, you know, yeah, if Kira yeah. told him at some point, you know, look, there was a, you know, 
guy who was selling out Bajorans, you know, owed, you know, to the Cardassians, Odo would 100% say, yes, that's wrong, you know, maybe you shouldn't have killed him, but you did what you had to do, you know, he has no problem with what she did. Well, and I think that... that it's the lie. The, well, I think that the Odo of today doesn't have a problem with yeah. it. I don't know that the Odo of five years ago would not have had a problem with the murder. And I think that yeah. that's, that's the first interesting distinction. The, the, the second thing, I think, is that the episode is set up as a framing device with Odo giving this, this log, right? Which he, he kind of frames as a waste of time, basically. And he, he doesn't want to do it. And he doesn't understand why Cisco <laughs> wants him to do it. I loved the first bit where he's like going off for like five minutes on just the log. And he says, everything is fine. The end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it makes you know it makes me wonder. He talks a lot about how humans like records and humans like to keep, um, um, you know, uh, records and all this kind of stuff. And that's what Garrick said a couple episodes about the yeah. Cardassians. And it makes me realize like Odo is the one character uh, who has really worked with Cardassians and then with humans. Does Odo see much of a difference between them? We know that he doesn't. He, we know that he kind of lumps all humanoids together. Does he really see much of a difference between the Federation and the Cardassians? You know, I, that's kind of an open question at this point. I don't think it's a, and I think it's an interesting that 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 the question could be asked, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, his relationship to Bajorans is very ambiguous because you know it was a Bajoran station, you know, where he grew up. It was, you know, he he. As we see in this episode, he's kind of somebody that all the Bajoran just kind of know and, you know, ask to help out. I mean, he's he's Rick and Casablanca a little bit in this episode. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, the events of this episode notwithstanding, you know, the person he's closest to is Kira. And, you know, she's certainly Bajoran. So if he's not quite on the side of the Bajorans, they're the ones who have his biggest sympathy. And, you know, he certainly sees the Bajorans torn between, you know, the Federation and their Cardassians as well. But I think framing it as sympathy might be the, the, the wrong mm. way to go because it seems to me that Odo is a character who believes in, he, he's someone who believes in, 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 you know, black and white. There's no, there's yeah. no sort of moral ambiguity with, with Odo. And, you know, he frames it as justice. I mean, there's even a, a line that I actually wrote down in the episode where he talks about, you know, this, this sense of justice he had as, as being a racial memory from his species. Like, you know, oh, is, that yeah. is that true? Who knows? You know, but, but it's kind of interesting to think about. And, and the fact of the matter is, you know, I think that, that in this episode, Odo realizes that it's, the Cardassians would, would have punished... If he had said, yes, this is the person, the Cardassians would have gone with that, they would have required no evidence, and they would have executed Kira. And and I think that he realizes that, and I think that the reason why... I mean, he doesn't believe that she did it, number one, but I also think that that it's not sympathy, it's just him wanting people to be treated, uh, maybe not fairly, but at least with a modicum of, of, of impartiality. I guess that's true. I mean, I also feel like he could maybe argue that out of everybody in this situation, the per- the people who need justice the most are the Bajorans in a way. And so, you know, he, he talks, he prides a lot on his impartiality in this episode, especially in the five years ago. And, um, you know, w- which again goes thematically, you know, Odo is a shapeshifter. So yes, he is going to, you know, he doesn't quite, he belongs to everyone and no one in a way. Um, but, you know, I, I I also think this episode talks, you know, deals with him being torn between, 
you know, his Bajoran past where he was a party trick, you know, everyone talks about this Cardassian neck trick he does and he's mortified about it every time. Yeah. Um, you know, he also resents a little bit being, uh, 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 being Goldicott's kind of, you know, he, anytime he says, you know, are you working for the Cardassians? He says, no, I'm working with them. I'm investigating, you know, but he refuses to say he's working for them. Um, right, right. And I think in his mind, he's not. I think in his mind, yeah. he's some sort of independent contractor. Well, you know? and, the thing the thing that really sways him is when Goldicott says, look, you know, my superiors would have me, um, you know, just, you know, shoot 10 random Bishorans and that would be justice, you know, to them. You know, you're the shot to actually get, you know actual justice you know to find the act now we find out of course that his motivation is that you know he wants to find the person who killed the you know his informant but um again going with the what we were what i was speculating about the bajoran war yeah about the cardassian war orphans i think for goldicott it can be both you know i think to a degree, he doesn't really find he finds it distasteful to just randomly kill people, and that's you know that because that isn't justice. But at the same time, you know, finding the actual killer serves his purpose. Yeah, and I think that that for Gul Dukat at He's, least, it it's less about finding the actual killer and more about covering up his own. I don't know if it's crimes or sins or whatever, but you know, obviously, this is a this is a man who who is playing very know, political person, yeah, yeah. And I mean, we saw that in 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 the the opening uh, or what is it um, the episode what you were just talking about with with Garrick um, with the war orphans, yeah. That uh, Cardassians, um, I, a shock. I don't remember <laughs> that title because it is so unique. Um, that. You know, he is obviously and this is kind of the interesting thing about the show is that the show is very willing to uh, delve into this and really sort of get into the backstory of this and really sort of make this um, a very, very sort of messy world. And, you know, there's layers upon layers here and we're never they don't really give us a lot of the evidence and, 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 uh, you know, sometimes or information. Sometimes that works. Sometimes that doesn't. But I think in this episode, it really does work because, again, we've already had that sort of um, season and a half or whatever of. Gold Ducat kind of popping in and out and, and frankly being disingenuous and, and never really knowing which way he's, you know, which way the wind is blowing with him that, you know, if this had been the first time, the second time we'd ever seen Gold Ducat, I don't think this episode would have been nearly as effective. Uh, and, or Kira as well, because again, well, we, yeah. We, yeah. I mean, this, this is not an episode that they could have <laughs> done, you know, in, in episode four of season one, for example. No, but I, 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 and one of the things that I really like is that the show allows us to form maybe incorrect opinions about characters. You know, I really still don't know what side Goldicott is on because I think there are some, you know, but I, I, yeah. I also, you know, again, going with one of the major themes, Goldicott could be the villain, could be the antagonist, but still have a lot of very good points. I mean, the, the, this, sure. this, this, you know, the, the person who makes, the speech about the war orphans that I agree with, that this is a shame and that they should be, you know, taken care of. And it is the, you know, again, is gold to cot and we don't know quite what his motivation is. And we think it might be tainted, but it is still a good point. Well, yeah. And I think that if, if, if you look at the show, I mean, maybe this is a question for you, but, but, you know, obviously deep space nine is, is a very, 
obviously Deep Space Nine is a, a very different show so far than the next generation and its sort of aims and its its you know world building and all of these things. And you know, I guess my question is sort of like, is this incompatible with with Star Trek? I mean, you know, not does, at all. Yeah, well, that's I don't think so either. But I think there are some people that do think that, and I think that this episode could very easily be construed as as very cynical and uh, very sort of anti Star Trek and it's to its core. But I, I don't think it is. But I I'm I'm curious why you think it isn't. I mean, there were plenty of episodes that um, of of the original series and the and even of next and of Next Generation even more so that ended on kind of a wry or an unfinished note or a dark note, you know? Um, and, you know, while this is certainly darker than that, again, we have to... It makes sense for what Star Trek wanted to say about the times. Again, 1960s, yeah, yeah you know, well, the American way of life is great, and, you know, we're going to get, you know, and we're we're eventually going to all, you know, come together and be fine, you know? And the 90s was that, you know, diversity and multiculturalism and we're all one big family. You know, again, you have this is Star Trek that's coming into an age when people are realizing that, you know, you know, maybe it's a little more ahead of its time, I think, than, you know, the other series were. But this is definitely dealing with, you know, people cannot be put into buckets in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I, ha, I ha, ha. <laughs> that yo god yeah um you, ironically the character who least fits in with everything is the one who's put into the bucket but um yeah yeah you know again or you know earlier series dealt with the fact that you know we can we we can have an alien culture and you know they can every member of you know can have a general philosophy and that's fine and Next Generation started to find it different ways, but again, that was a show that was predicated on, well, at the end of the day, everybody is working together and they've got to get along, you know, and you can't really have any serious disagreements. So I guess I'm still really curious about what Goldicott's role in everything is going to be. Again, we still, we, we, there is still a lot about, you know, the backstory that we don't know, but, you know, it's being very lax about doling it out in a good way. Um... And, you know, that said, I would have been very nervous watching this week after week um, because, I don't know, um, I, I, I still don't know to what degree they had a plan and to what degree I'm reading too much into it, but. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's you know, I, I don't want to beat around the bush. It's, they didn't have a plan. I mean, it's, you know. They they kind of had an inkling of what they wanted to do in terms so of. So it's. You know, I think, I think. It's almost like how Breaking Bad, like they kind of took it on a season by season basis. Yeah, you know, and I, maybe I, they had an idea where the next season would go, but you know, yeah. Okay. I mean, they they definitely kind of knew that they they wanted to tell different types of stories than they told on the Next Generation. They kind of knew that they wanted to tell bigger stories. They wanted to make it a little more linked. They wanted to do more world building. You know, it's why they keep bringing back the Cardassians. It's why they keep bringing back the uh, you know all the Bajoran stuff. You know, there's a lot of backstory here. It's why they sort of have 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 kind of pushed out the Gamma Quadrant a little bit because the wormhole's always there and the Gamma Quadrant's yeah. always there. You know, they're starting to do a little bit more with that. And so all of these things are linked. I don't think they, they knew exactly what they wanted to do. It's not like they had a J. Michael Straczynski-style, you know, five-year plan like Babylon 5 did. Uh, but they kind of had some inkling of what they wanted to do. And so I think that in that sense, it's about as far as it needs to go at this particular point, if that yeah. makes sense. 
I still like it, you know, a lot. I, and I think that's good. I, I, well, the I, one I see disappointment happening though, again, because from what I've heard about Voyager and from what I've heard, especially about enterprise, like it doesn't seem like the, again, you know, I said the series may be a little ahead of its time. You know, if this had been made now, you know, it would have been made with the Bible and a more, uh, it would have been made with a more specific plan in mind, you know, and I think you're overestimating how many TV shows have plans, frankly. (laughs) No, that, that, that's true. That is true. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I think that, well, I, I, you know, I don't want to go too far down a road of talking about Voyager and Enterprise, but, but you know, Enterprise is a better show than people generally give it credit for, and Voyager is a worse show than people generally give it credit for, and I think okay. that we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, well, I think that, you know, yeah, and, and one of the things that really struck me about watching, it, it's kind of interesting because I hadn't really made this connection before this week, but uh, maybe subconsciously I did, and it kind of popped out finally, is that... You know, again, these two episodes, we don't see a lot of the main characters for most of them. These are really, really uh, solidly focused episodes on one or two main characters. And that's been the case for a majority of the episodes of the show so far. And that's been a case for the majority of the strong episodes of the show so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, if you look at TNG as an ensemble show, which is what it very much was... uh, a lot of the strongest episodes of TNG were ensemble shows. A lot of the weakest episodes of this show so far have been ensemble shows. Yeah. And so while this has an ensemble, quote unquote, it's not used like an ensemble. And I think that's interesting. It's also another way besides the storytelling stuff that we just talked about. The show is marking itself as different. Well, yeah. One of the, um, given that TNG was a lot more episodic, one of the, I know one of the things we generally liked when there was something for everyone to do because, you know, particularly in that in that show more than this, everyone had a little skill or a, a particular talent or a particular area. That's less so here. You know, the yeah. character, you know, obviously, you know, Bashir is the medical guy, you know, and Dax is going to do more science, you know, but it, it, it isn't as... You know, and, and they don't usually have, you know, problems of the week that, you know, have six different heads and, you know, each one's got to, you know, that's not the type of stories that they're trying to tell. So, yeah, I mean, Dax really had a Dax had a few moments in, um, you know, Rules of Acquisition more to, but those scenes weren't about her either. You know, she was kind of just a way of, you know, giving an opinion about the Ferengi or, you know, a way for Pell to, you know talk about her feelings. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't even remember Cisco really having a role in either episode. I mean, a little bit, but not too much. Yeah, I mean, like he... a line here or there. He just went to the set for a day, you know, a couple hours. Finally, before we wrap this episode up, I think that, you know, we haven't talked a lot about, about the role of, of, of Rom yet. And, you know, it, there's not that much really to say. I mean, he's kind of, a character that's always kind of been there. I don't like Rom. Um, well, <laughs> I, I, you Rom? know, and I know, you know, I feel bad for him and he's the put upon brother, but he doesn't do anything for me. I think that you will be very interested with, to see what they do with him. Okay. And I bring him up because he becomes kind of an important character. Not, not to the same degree that Cisco or, you know, someone like that is, is important, but the show does a good job at redeeming him. And I think that, 
if you don't like Rom, it's more to do with the fact that the show doesn't know who he is yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, the you know, and, th- and that's why I bring him up in this episode, and why I haven't really talked about him yet is that this is the first time that they start to figure out Rom. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, you know, again, at this point, I, you know, I would be both. I, I am both very surprised and not at all surprised whenever a character does something shocking because, you know, these characters do have, you know, the depth seems to come naturally from them. You know, I, I can definitely see, you know, it's partially, you know, Rom hasn't been developed, you know, and partially because that's where he is. He is, you know, hasn't really had much of an opportunity to blossom, you know. Frankly, I would think he would have more of a sympathy for Pell than, you know, anything. But, um, you know, he's going to have his moments later, I assume. Yes, he definitely does. (laughs) And I'll leave it at that. You know, and I think that, that, again, I think that the episode uh, Necessary Evil works on a really good level on a lot of different levels because, you know, it's set set up as a Quark is going to do something terrible episode and it kind of goes in a completely different direction. You know, Rom gets to be a more active participant in the episode, I think, than he's ever been before. Uh, He gets to surprise Quark. And at the end of the day, you know, he gets to to save the day, essentially, you know. And and so it's just kind of nice. And I think that while the show at the end kind of pushes him back into the comic relief role a little bit and that he's, oh, well, you know, he didn't get the bar and he saved his brother's life, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's starting to realize that they can do different things with Rom than they have in the past. And, and I, I kind of, you know, I bring it I, up more, more as a stay tuned kind of thing more than anything else. I mean, in a way, it makes complete sense that he, you know, knows how to sneak his way around because, yeah. You know, anytime he does something wrong, he's going to be doing everything to hide it from Quark. And so he's going to get really good at stealth stuff. Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, maybe he's going to be a a security chief. Ooh. No, that's not going to happen. He kills O'Brien and then (laughs) marries Keiko. And then Nog and what's her name are now brother and sister, which makes things awkward for Jake. That could very well be the case. Okay, I'm glad. I can't wait till this episode. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes that we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. Please follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash trekaboutshow. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekaboutshow. And as always, leave us a positive iTunes review like TARDIS Pilot did. No. Who says, they have new and interesting ways to view them. Aw. As in Star Trek, which is very nice. So thank oh, you. Oh, not Doctor Who? No. Why we'll, do we, we'll, how did we get a Who fan watching I don't know. Us? We'll let the name slide. But thank you. Thank you for that very nice review. If you would, I, like, I, that if you would like us was, to read your name on the podcast, give us a review. Wait, I'll be nice. That review was bigger on the inside. Oh, that's yeah. good. This is how Star Trek and Doctor Who made peace on our show. All right. Well, next week we talk about Second Sight and Sanctuary. Ah, it's S week. It is. Super. Sayonara. <laughs>